The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abuel Samad. So, after about 10 days and an interim episode and uh, several attempts, we're, <laughs> we're up to another episode. Uh, and you've been driving or driven all over the place lately, and we'll get to that. Um, we but, we certainly will, and and that's that's why part of why we couldn't manage to get it together last week because I was in a in a separate time zone on a on a media program uh, where we inevitably have late dinners, and so by the time I got back to my hotel room, it was too late to uh, keep Dan up because you know being a crotchety old guy, he's got to get to bed <laughs> early. They were they were automaker dinners too, so they were like they were good. Oh. <laughs> And not just any automaker dinners; they were Cadillac dinners, and well, oh, uh, it's just it's getting better and better. <laughs> well, let's talk about what we're driving anyway, and we'll yeah. stay with luxury cars. So you had the uh, the Acura TLX A spec. Yeah. So uh, you were, you were saying something about luxury cars? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh you mean the Acura? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Acura is not all that. The well, A spec's no, not terribly curious. You know, I, I, I kid, but uh, it's actually quite a nice car. I mean, it's the know. nicest Accord there is. Absolutely, and <laughs> and that's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's certainly not uh, you know not a competitor for you know the more high end luxury brands from a you know from a purely you know materials and and look. Uh, perspective, but it is very well executed. You know, it's, it's got it's got nice materials. It's even got a couple of little splashes of wood in the interior. Uh, you know, but the the TLX is um, Acura's midsize sedan, and you know, as you say, it's it's got uh, it shares some bones with the Accord. Um, it, and when they when they first redid the or introduced the TLX nameplate a couple of years back, you know, it replaced both the outgoing TSX, which was a rebadged version of the European Accord, which is a smaller sedan than the U.S. Accord, and also the slightly larger TL, and kind of split the difference between the two. And you know, it came to market you know just as the pretty much the entire market was rushing away from sedans of any kind, of any shape or form. Um, and so, you know, it's it's struggled a little bit. Um, but for 2018, Acura uh, did their mid-cycle refresh on it and applied uh, the some of the design cues from the Precision Concept that first appeared uh, was it last year or the year before last year at the uh, Detroit Auto Show. So that means it has the new uh, large diamond grille uh, that we already saw 
that first appeared on the updated MDX earlier this year. Um, and then more recently, they uh, added it to the RLX, the larger RLX sedan, uh, which, you know, I think they sell about uh, three or four annual. I, you know, every time I hear RLX, I'm like, they're still making that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I'm pretty sure I've never actually seen one in the wild on the road. Um, but, you know, when when I've seen when I've seen press cars around, you know, I mean, it's a nice enough looking sedan. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the TLX, right? Uh, Which again is like hard to spot out in the wild. It's it's, and yeah. that's kind of frustrating because it's a good car. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with the TLX. Um, you know, I mean, it's not the most exciting car in the world, but it, it's good. You know, and for um, for the you know along with the refresh this year, they also brought back the A spec. Uh, which is uh, a trim level that they've had in the past on some other on the TL and, and I think on some other Acura models as well, um, which, you know, is, you know, it's certainly no type R. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's got, you know, it's got a slightly sportier look, um, you know, bigger wheels and tires. You know, I think 19 inch alloy wheels with um, 245 uh, width tires front and back. Uh, it does does come standard with all wheel drive, um, you know, and it, it's the, the super, you know, Acura super handling all wheel drive, which which means you know, it's got torque vectoring on the rear axle, um, you know, that shifts the the torque output to you know back and forth between across the rear axle um in order to get you more turn in and and overcome any understeer you might have and during my time with the tlx i didn't have a chance you know to uh press it really hard but it, you know all my past experience with other acuras with the same system is you know it's always been very effective at really giving you a nice balanced handling effect uh with the car uh so that was a good thing um and you know this the the a spec also has the uh, you know honda's really nice 3.5 liter v6 um which is a it's a fabulous engine um about 300 horsepower uh and i was surprised it actually you know the I, i'm not sure i haven't driven the standard uh non a spec uh v6 tlx recently so i'm not sure if the um, exhaust was different on this one, but it certainly sounded much more aggressive than any TLX the, uh, I, I, I've remembered before. Yeah, I think part of the TLX, uh, part of the, the A-Spec thing is um, at least the, well, uh, part of the body kit is the uh, lower diffuser in the rear, which has, they, they enlarge the exhaust finisher, as they call them, right. to f four inch. So, uh, you know, maybe there's yeah, I mean, something it's got to do with that. Yeah, pretty big pipes on the back, but, you know, yeah. ahead of that, I'm, I'm not sure there's anything actually different, but it sure sounds good. Uh, so, you know, when you step on it, 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 it it's, it's got a really nice exhaust note to it. Um, and with, you know, paired with a, a nine speed uh, automatic transmission, it, it, it does just fine. It's got snaps off some pretty quick shifts, um, you know, and it's a, it's a very nice, you know, decent performing, you know, midsize sedan. And so this is, yeah, this is the thing that kind of gets me about Acura is every time I drive one, I'm like, you know, this is, this is really nice. And, and I, it, it, I could see myself living with it um you know because you don't really have to make a lot of compromises to enjoy them uh they're they're really well thought out cars and generally well put together and satisfying to drive even if they're not quite up to you know, what we've we've expected from from the german brands but the the 
this current TLX and the A spec especially are a lot more aggressive than Acura has been over the last maybe even decade. You know, the, the, there's you know the blacked out wheels and the different you know the blacked out trim, the large grill now. Like they've they've gone from being pretty conservative to like okay, I guess we have to play along. Yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, um, if we ever if we ever want anyone to buy our cars, we've got to make them a little more interesting. And yeah, and and I think they've done that. You know, they they've certainly taken a step forward um, with this version of the uh, of the TLX. So it's you know it it's it's definitely it, it's I like it a lot. But you know, once you get out of the car and get into something else, it's like what was I just driving? <laughs> you know, really, it's that anonymous because like that's the other thing that I found is like um, they tend to be sort of like. Uh, I don't want to say sleepers, but sort of like um, quietly, not even quietly competent. I don't even know how exactly to describe it, but just like I generally walk away like, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Like it wasn't on my list, but now it is. But yeah. again, apparently it's forgettable for you. <laughs> well, you know, I think if if I was if I if I had to live with, you know, if I if I was buying a, a, a midsize sedan, you know, and I wanted something a little nicer and it was something that I had to to live with for a couple of years or, you know, several years while paying off the loan, you know, I I'm pretty sure I would live with this car quite happily for for many years without ever having a complaint about it. Um and you know certainly you know i think the the exhaust note you know gave a very pleasant sound as i said um you know handles decently i you know i've i've always liked the super handling all wheel drive um i've generally liked honda interiors uh although i'm somewhat less enamored with the dual screen setup that they use on the Acuras. Even the new version that they've got in the yeah, TLX I mean, now? I mean, the, the the new version, you know, it's updated and does have uh, an updated audio system. And it's got support for um, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. Uh, so that helps. Um, but it, it's still, you know, I don't know, it just, it's, it does, it's not, it's just not the, the greatest infotainment system. Um, it, it's better. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's not great. I have expended so many words and, and uh, lots and lots of of uh, speaking about that. So I don't need to say anything more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, it's a it's a handsome car. Honda makes great seats. Uh, so I can't complain about that. Yeah. Well, and they're extra. They're like extra bolstered with the, the A-Spec as well. Like yeah. the A-Spec, like, if you want to, to drive a, a premium sports sedan that uh, – you can sort of get away with living with every day. It's not going to aggravate the crap out of you uh, so much, but it's still really satisfying to drive. And it's it's an Acura, so it's going to tend to be you know pretty well screwed together, pretty reliable. It, it, it makes an argument for itself just on on those points, but I guess you have but to get I, past I, the think, fact that think, like it's anonymous. Yeah, I think I think the issue I have is that you know at a starting price of forty three thousand dollars for the TLX A spec. Well, that's not bad. It's not bad. But on the other hand, you can buy a really nice Accord, you know, the 2018 Accord with the two liter turbo uh, for under $30,000. Yeah, but so how close is the really nice Accord to the TLX? Well, and, and especially now because um, well, I guess you can get the Accord with the manual now, too. Yeah, or, you can. Uh, you can get the, the, the higher output two liter turbo Accord with the manual transmission. And yeah, so, mm. you know, they, this year, you know, on the Accord, they've dropped the coupe, um, and 
So, you know, you only have the, the four-door sedan, and they used to have the coupe with the V6 and a manual, available with the V6 and a manual. But now, which, and of course, you can't get a manual in the, um, in the Acura. Uh, and maybe, I mean, you might be able to get it with a four-cylinder. But at any rate, um, you know, in, in the Accord, you can get the two-liter uh, Sport with a manual transmission. And, you know, it's, you know, it's certainly, I think, a more interesting looking design than the uh, than the Accord or than the Acura, whether, you know, whether you like it or not, you know, is, is, you know it's a matter of personal taste. I personally like the way the Accord looks, uh, you know, and I, I guess I would just have a real hard time justifying why to step up to the Acura over the Honda. I can see that, um, you know, and I was actually thinking. The, the TLX, the most interesting TLX to me is the four cylinder because I the the six is nice. Like it's certainly plenty powerful uh, and that's fun in its own right. But really, I think the, the one that's got less weight on the nose and just is more efficient and you can get closer to using up all the potential is the four cylinder. And if you can't get the four cylinder with the manual, I, it's kind of a dud to me, especially when you can get the, the, the Accord that way. And they're not that different. Yeah, I guess I guess the the one the one advantage that the um, that the Acura really has is the all wheel drive. You can't get the all wheel drive on the Accord, so that's that would be the the one distinction. Um, but you know, as as much as I like that all wheel drive system, I you know I I think I could live without it. <laughs> so it's like the last three tenths, right? Yeah. Like. You know, the, the, the Accord's going to hang in till seven or eight tenths, and then the, that super-handing all-wheel drive is only going to really get you that last little bit. Yeah, and even, even then, it's probably the, only the last two tenths, you know, or one tenth. Um, you know, certainly it'll help, you know, when you're, you know, in, in winter conditions, you know, as long as you put some decent tires on it, you know, it'll give you some extra grip there. Um, but, you know, it's, I don't know, it just seems like a... I think I would rather take an Accord for for quite a bit less money. Wow, I'm, I don't I don't know that that's that's not helping Honda. No, <laughs> or Acura, I guess, because uh, I, I really want the, the I want I really want Acura to succeed. I just I like their cars, um, and I actually I like the new face, the new nose. That's not I guess it's not all that new anymore, but just going from the sort of like. Uh, blade front end that they all had for a while. Yeah, I mean it's it's certain it's certainly an improvement from a design standpoint. Uh, I you know no complaints there. Uh, you know, but, I mean, to to a degree, you know, Acura's got the same problem that Lincoln has at Ford. You know, it's it's you know Lincolns are built on you know basically really solid bones. You know, sharing their platforms with with the current generation Ford models. You know, they're they're really good, but are they are they good enough and distinct enough to really justify, you know, the the price premium for them? You know, I mean, it's just they're not that different. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I think that the Acura, Acura Hill still has a little more cachet than Lincoln does. Um, but yeah, I, I see your point. I mean, certainly, you know, for you know the NSX does. Yeah, I, I Lincoln I Lincoln doesn't have an NSX. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that you know I don't know that any of the the Acura cars you know, necessarily have that much more cachet than, than the corresponding Honda versions. Um, 
I, maybe it's me then. I, I don't know. I Because I, I feel like they do. I feel like even though the, so there's just a lot of crossover between the TLX and the Accord, just in terms of size and segment and, and hardware, uh, to me, the Acura just, it, it it's elevated a bit. You know, it 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 looks distinct. It um, is appointed in a different way. You know, the Accord is very nice, but um, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's more of a, a gulf between... Honda and Acura versus uh, Ford and Lincoln, but you know, that's that's just sitting here in the, in the armchair versus like having all of them in front of me. So, uh, all right. Well, I, you know, I guess yeah. I said yeah. I think may, maybe the problem is that you know I see a lot of the current Hondas being so good that it just it's hard to make the case you know to to step up to an Acura. But, well, yeah, and and I I think too that the brand new Accord that just came out is probably really 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 good yeah and i hope to get into one of those pretty soon i i was i was actually originally scheduled to go drive one last week uh but uh, had to uh change my schedule when something else came up which we'll we'll talk about in a bit uh but you know that i'm just looking at the pricing on the 2018 accord and the two liter uh sport uh six-speed manual is priced at thirty thousand three hundred and ten dollars and I think that would probably be the one I would take. That's kind. Of, I mean, that seems like a crazy bargain. Yeah. For how how good that car is and how satisfying it's going to be to drive. Yeah, absolutely. Is that, does that have like leather and? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Wow. And that's like the only car in that segment you can get equipped that way. Yeah. Um, I think the the only other midsize sedan now that you can still get with a manual transmission is the Mazda six, and that's only with the uh, the, the two liter engine. You can't get it with the two five. I always what does that say? I always forget about the Mazda six. <laughs> <laughs> you should remember every Mazda. No, I know. I I really like every Mazda, but I always forget about it. And I was actually on the edge of just saying like the Accord's really the only car in that segment worth buying. It's the only one you can get with a manual. (laughs) All right. So what did you drive? Uh, Most recently, I had a pretty good week with a a Subaru Crosstrek, the 2018 version of the Crosstrek. Um, It's really great. Uh, And I've always liked the Crosstrek. I I think it's a a pretty good play for Subaru to take pretty much an existing car. If they're not going to give us... A WRX hatchback, at least they're going to give us something that's interesting and, and different and probably has more potential to sell better um, with taking the, the Impreza, giving it a little bit more ride height and some cladding and <laughs> calling and, it. And, a, and making you know. it look like a, a sort of pseudo SUV. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really great, though. The new Impreza platform is really, really solid. And I think that uh, that was what impressed me most because I think that was my biggest complaint about the the old cross track um was that it just didn't have the the structural rigidity of some of the other cars that it's kind of competing with and and the impreza was the same way too uh so they've made great strides with that and they've gotten every time subaru updates one of their models inevitably the quote is like well they've taken some of the weird away and yet there's still some weird left (laughs) so that the next time I can say again, well, they've taken some of the weird away, but uh, it's still it's still a Subaru. You know, it still has the the flat four engine and and still has some of the the personality. 
Um, but it's it's a lot smoother. It's a lot more refined. It's a lot quieter. Um, and I, I think it's a... It was kind of like a, a a mental adjustment for the week. Like you have to come to grips with the fact that, like, while I would love a WRX hatch because that's like the true WRX, right? If you're into that, um, these are the cars that people want, and so that's what Super is going to build. And and I can get behind that. It was uh, it was it was good, even with the CVT and the the two liter. I didn't feel like it was underpowered. I, that's been one of the criticisms of the new um crosstrek is that it just feels pokey and i can see how that's kind of exacerbated by the cvt uh it's, but they're pretty well matched and i i would love it with a manual and i drove the the sort of the mid-level i drove the two uh the the two liter premium uh trim so um you can get this car equipped the way i had it without the, the cvt and save yourself i think like a thousand bucks or something that's not um and no and just and, looking at it and you know like the starting price is you know 21 8 which yes, it's you know, considering it's got all-wheel drive you know right. is, is actually pretty decent it's it, it, this one and this one topped out at like 27 so uh that's that's a lot of car for that money um you know, it's it's pretty roomy. It's it's a hatchback, so it's useful. It does have the extra ride height. And Subaru owners, you know, Subaru has good demographic information on its owners, so they know that dog people buy their cars. <laughs> uh, you know, active you know people who go out and get you know park the car at the trailhead and you you put kayaks on it or whatever. Like they know that people do those things with their cars, and they've cultivated that image, and they they've done really well at uh, sort of making the cars that that uh, support those activities and so you know this is this is a car that just it's very versatile um and it's it's easy to use you know i found it comfortable uh, i was pleased that it's it's quiet and smooth uh than before um the infotainment uh, they continually sort of upgrade that and so this latest version was it was better it still was a little slow uh here and there sort of like especially to boot up but um it it, it it wasn't quite as bad as before. So. Did did this one have any of the? Did it have the uh, the eyesight system in there? Yes, and so that's really the biggest thing. Uh, that's that's like their their standout feature across the board. The fact that you can get that eyesight system and how good the eyesight system is for the price. Um, and it, it you know it's 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 the dual camera based system. So it's actually it's not that big a deal for them to put it on the cars. And it it it's a that's a lot of functionality. And it's really not that expensive for the package, and it, it brings that technology down into a segment that uh, really, like, you wouldn't expect it to be there. Um, right. So you know they're they're able to provide um, forward collision warnings and and uh, adaptive cruise control with a system that doesn't have any radar sensors. Uh, because they're using the stereoscopic camera setup, the dual camera setup, uh, which is generally going to be less expensive than the, the radar system. Although even the radar systems are getting fairly cheap now. I mean, the radar sensors are under $50 a piece now. Yeah, but so the radar systems, which are popping up in a lot of uh, sort of cars in, in, in and around this, this pricing, and especially now as everybody refreshes um, and, and brings out new, you know, fully new um generations of of vehicles it's just going to proliferate more um the eyesight system is better in practice it's tuned better it's it's more 
uh, more refined. It's it's you know smoother about controlling its speed, and it, it will bring the car to a full stop mm-hmm. uh, before giving up. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is it's like that's it sounds like a small thing, but that's actually really nice. Yeah, well, and that's that's one of the things you know with the with the radar based systems. Um, you know, you can most of the newer radar based systems do full speed, you know, full stop and go capability as well. But um, to do that, they usually have to use um, two radar sensors, a longer range sensor and a shorter range sensor uh, that and the shorter range sensor covers that lower speed range. Uh, so they they, um, uh, you know, and that so that ends up adding a bit of cost to get that full speed stop and go capability. But, you know, the, the cameras, you know, even with the cameras, you know, I think there's um, there's a little less precision uh, you know, with with the cameras in terms of, you know, being able to calculate the speed and the and the distance to the vehicle ahead of you uh, than you get with radar. But, um, you know, it's still, uh, you know, it, it's still a surprisingly good system. Yeah. And especially again, I think the whole package is like two thousand or twenty five hundred dollars, which is peanuts um, when I mean, it's not not really peanuts. But if you're going to finance the car, if you're leasing it, it, it really doesn't add much to the cost. Um and it's uh, yeah, uh, it, it was just uh, I was I was impressed with that, with how it how it operates and just you know it returns good fuel economy. It it it's a really really solid update um, of a car that you know is is really carved out. It, there's not a whole lot that's in that same kind of niche. You know now there's a there's uh, the Golf All Track. Yeah, there's the Jetta All Track. I forget. They uh, keep no, renaming their wagon. The, the, the only Jetta now is the uh, is the sedan. So the right. the wagon is back to being a well. Actually, the wagon was all always a Golf <laughs> in Europe. It's, it was okay. only ever a Jetta in North America, and they they dropped the Jetta branding on the on the wagon here um, when they introduced the latest generation of it. Okay, yeah, and the, you can see the other thing too with the eyesight system um, is. And, and this is, I think, one of the things that helps stand out from from some of the others in the pack too. Is is it? It's not just adaptive cruise and forward collision. It's, it's you know lane departure and actually it has like the lane keeping assist, where it will pretty noticeably nudge you back uh, into your lane if you um, if you start to sort of cross the like the solid yellow on the side of the road or something right uh, or the solid white on the highway and i was i was playing with that it it's it's pretty aggressive about it 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 will keep you in your lane or or or, or die trying <laughs> <laughs> um so i you know i think they're they're and safety is one of the big things that subaru has kind of hung their hat on um as uh, you know companies like volvo and mercedes and and bmw have all started pushed up market you know they're not they're they've abandoned that like yes slightly premium uh but still attainable everyday you know safety thing you know subaru has rushed to fill that niche um and and they've they've done really well with it and so safety is is something that is important to their buyers and important an important facet of of their brand and and i you know i'm impressed that they're they're really delivering at like actual safety gear for reasonable price across all of their their models so yeah right. and and they you know i'm just looking at the uh, the subaru site as, as you're talking about this stuff and yeah the eyesight the the, the safety package is uh, fourteen hundred dollars 
on the the premium on the Crosstrek premium, and that gets you the eyesight plus the um, blind spot monitors, and so that's that's not a bad price. Although um, it yeah you know, on the uh, the new Camry and the new Accord, the twenty eighteen Camry and Accord, it's all standard, right? Yeah, it's all st- it's standard on both of those. And That's a, within the next couple of years, we're going to start seeing this stuff being standard across the board, you know, for, for most cars. That's, but in the Camry and Accord, they're a class up from this. They're a size class up. Um, but, you know, keeping in mind that they're also, you know, both front wheel drive cars, um, you know, the Accord actually starts at about the same price as the, uh, uh, as the Crosstrek, but it's a front wheel drive car. See, this is the this is what happens. You start comparing Subaru cars to other other vehicles too. Is you know, they start to stack up a little bit of of an edge because they everything they make is all wheel drive and it's, it's yeah, generally it's not, priced it's not, reasonably. It, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the impressive thing is that they are priced surprisingly aggressively. You know, given that you are getting all wheel drive as standard on every single one of these cars. Uh, yeah, and and they're they've been very successful about growing their their market share. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've, you know, they've stayed true to the character of the brand. Um, and, you know, so, you know, they, they haven't really tried to dilute the brand too much. Uh, they haven't got, you know, too many different model variants, although, you know, they are bringing out uh, a larger SUV, excuse me, a larger SUV, three row SUV again next year, um, you know, to uh, replace the old uh, Tribeca, um, which never really sold very well. I really liked that thing. It was so it it was it was an oddball, and it had that flat six that sounded like a Porsche. I, I mean, it was just it was weird and good. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it, well, certainly from a design standpoint, it, it definitely brought the weird. Yeah, I, I like how when they enlarged it from the original Tribeca um, to the, uh, the 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 sort of mid-cycle where it got the the nose that was supposed to be a Saab version. Um, they enlarged the engine from three point two to three point six liters, and they couldn't physically enlarge it. So they had to make these lamb chop, lamb chop shaped, lamb chop shaped connecting rods to give it more more stroke. You know, because they the platform is set. You can't, you know, unlike other v- vehicles where you could put a physically larger engine package in there, right? Because of the horizontally opposed engine, like that's it. You, you got the width you got. You can't make it that engine any wider. So you you can't enlarge the stroke. You could enlarge the bore, but. That's like diminishing returns when you when you want you know more torque. Generally, you want a longer stroke, um, and so they they had to make this funky shaped connecting rod to, to do it. And they they made a lot of tweaks to it. It was just a neat car, completely salesproof, but really neat. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was indeed salesproof. Uh, yeah, but what are you gonna and, do? Yeah, I mean, and as much as I'd like this thing to be uh, WRX, uh, I'll I'll settle for it. Like it's you know. It's it's comfortable, smooth, and and uh, it, it has a niche. Yeah, I appreciate it. Sounds like a plan. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and, All right. So, uh, you, and you you were mentioning you know about it having lane departure uh, prevention, you know, to keep you in the lane. Well, I, I was driving something with with the system, something like that, last week too. Well, that's what I was going to say. You were actually not really driving. Um, you were being driven. Yeah. Well, I, I did have to pay attention though. Um, so yeah, I. I Went, I took a road trip from uh, Cleveland to Chicago to Memphis in a 2018 Cadillac CT6, uh, which now is available with Super Cruise. And um, 
Uh, so this, this is GM's first uh, level two semi-automated or partially automated driving system. And it's, it's GM's answer to uh, autopilot uh, from Tesla and, um, you know, Volvo's pilot assist and uh, Mercedes drive pilot. Uh, but this is the first system on the market in the U.S. that is actually uh, officially designated as being a hands-off system. You know, that you can... You can drive it, you know, no hands on the wheel, but you do have to have eyes on the road. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's Cadillac's big sedan. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it before. And I think, you know, early, back in the spring, uh, we ran an interview I did with Barry Walkup, the chief engineer on the system uh, that I recorded at the uh, New York Auto Show. And I'll, I'll add a link in the show notes to that one. But um, this is the first opportunity we've had to drive it. And uh, it was quite an interesting experience. You know, overall, it, the system actually works really well, and I, I would say it's it's the best uh, production attempt at this kind of a system yet. Uh, definitely more confidence-inspiring and more reliable than any of the other systems I've tried so far. Like any? Because you've tried a bunch. Like, yeah. And, and you, that's so, – and this is, this is uh, you know, little old GM we're talking about who – you know, if you believe the propaganda coming from from other automakers trying to do things, um, I won't name any names, but um, like Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, they uh, you know, GM's not supposed to be able to find their ass with like, uh, you know, a map, two hands and a flashlight. Like apparently they didn't mention anything about a 3D high definition map generated with LIDAR, <laughs> which is what the CT6 has. <laughs> um, could, yeah, I mean, it, you could find it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's that contrast between like sort of rhetoric and, and you know, what's on the ground. Uh, so so what makes it the best system uh, that you've you've tried so far? Well, um, one of the one of the key things that GM has done differently with Super Cruise, I mean, they, they first they first demoed Super Cruise for some media back in 2012. Um, and, you know, at that time they didn't, you know, they said it would be on the market in a few years. Um, and in 2014, uh, Mary Barra announced, you know, it would be coming in 2016. Uh, but they actually delayed the program by a year because um, in 2014, uh, that was also the year when uh, they, you know, had this little recall for some a problem with some ignition switches. And um, after that, you know, um, the, Top executives, you know, including Mary Barra, basically decreed that, you know, from now on, you know, anything new that GM brought to market would go through a much stricter safety evaluation. Yeah, and which is, I mean, it's kind of. Let's be clear: the ignition switches weren't new. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, they'd, they'd been around for quite a while. Um, that was just straight up like just bad practice. Yes, but it, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they t they took some crap for delaying Supercruise. Oh yeah, but uh, I think it's it's a good thing that they did it um, because you know they they really focused on you know trying to make it right you know because you know just uh, a couple of weeks ago the National Transportation Safety Board issued their report and you know in their investigation of uh, the fatal Tesla autopilot crash last year. And, you know, a couple of the, the recommendations that they made at that time were that manufacturers need to, needed to, um, you know, make sure that, you know, put more actively make sure that the systems weren't used inappropriately and, um, you know, make sure that 
they were monitoring, you know, in any system where there's where the driver potentially has to take over from the system to make sure that the driver is ready to do that. And so, you know, GM, you know, this, you know, even before that report came out, GM had already implemented all that stuff in Super Cruise. And so, you know, they, uh, you know, back in 2014, you know, uh, they went back and they reevaluated everything about the system. And, you know, they, they made some changes. You know, they did things like uh, adding uh, act, the, the rear, the active rear steering uh, actuator to the system as a backup in case they have a front steering failure. Um, they added the driver monitor system, uh, which includes a, 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 an infrared camera mounted on the top of the steering column and some IR emitters in the, in the uh, steering wheel. Um, and the, um, the high definition maps to geofence the system. You know, one of the, the problems, you know, part of what caused that Tesla crash was the fact that even though, you know, Tesla said, oh, you know, you're only supposed to use it on divided highways, so please don't use it anywhere else. Well, right. just, just behave. There was, no, there was nothing in, in the system to actually prevent you from using it in places where it shouldn't be used. Um, GM is taking the opposite approach and saying, not only are we telling you not to use it on anything but divided highways, we're going to make sure that you can't activate it on anything but divided highways by going out and mapping, you know, all 160,000 miles of divided highways in Canada and the U.S. and you know, uh, you know, doing high definition maps, you know, so they knew you know what lanes were, where the exits were, and everything, all, all the major features, including the the radius of the curves. And I'll I'll get back to that in a second. You know, and if you're not on one of those roads that's mapped, the system will not even activate. You you cannot activate Super Cruise unless you're on one of those roads. So that I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, and then. You know, the system, you know, primarily uses um, radar and camera sensors uh, to, to do the control, to control your speed and, you know, keep the car centered in the lane. And so they've got three radar sensors in the front. Um, there's the, the normal long forward looking long range sensor, a couple of short range sensors in the corners of the of the front bumpers that look for encroachment from other cars. If a car is com you know, coming over into your lane or there's some, something else coming over into your lane, you know, it can, it can make adjustments and, and alert you that, you know, something's there that you may not have noticed. Um, and then they're using the forward looking camera that they normally have for the, the lane keeping system, uh, as well as the two uh, cameras that are on the underside of the side mirrors that, usually are used for your surround view, you know, when you're, when you're backing up uh, the car and you get that overhead bird's eye view of, of the car, they're using those mirrors or those cameras to actually help with lane marking identification. So, you know, where the car has a, a more robust way of seeing the lane markers. Cause if you've used any lane keeping systems, you know, that the camera based lane keeping systems are notoriously unreliable. Well, they get yeah, and that's like I was talking about the one in the Subaru earlier, and it's good if it's in its element. If you get it out of its element, it's get, it gets confused. It, just, it either doesn't work at all, or it it starts going, you know, starts doing its thing in, in the wrong spot. Right. So you know, with Super Cruise, it's it's adding in those those extra two cameras uh, to to help keep the car centered in the lane, and so altogether, you know, between the cameras and the radar. They have a range of about 200 to 250 meters, you know, when it's clear out, you know, it's going to be less if it's raining or foggy, but about 200 to 250 meters is how far ahead they can, they can see in front of the car with the maps, the, the map data that they have, 
um, they're actually using the map data as uh, kind of a long range sensor that's also an input to the control system. So they're able to look out about uh, 2,500 meters, about 10 times as far. So that's about 1.6 miles or so. And so it's looking out, you know, looking for curves in the road. And um, then what it, you know, what it does is, you know, as you're driving along, uh, based on what your speed is, and it looks at the radius of the curves that are coming up because it knows how tight the curves are. And um, if your current speed, you know, might be a little bit too high to safely get through that curve, the system will automatically slow you down a little bit to get you through the curve safely and then pick up and resume your speed. So, you know, it's doing some really smart control. Uh, with Yeah, well, well, and that's akin to, I mean, there are cars that already know when they're on a racetrack because of the GPS and stuff like that, too. So, like, this is just a further extension. It's a different application of the same technology that we've all been wowed by already but you know other systems you know like for example autopilot um and the systems from the the european premium brands they don't use the map data for for the control at least not yet anyway uh they're relying strictly on the sensors Uh, so you know that's you know this this really helps to improve the control and makes it better now you know what the system doesn't do yet is it doesn't have automatic lane change capability and that's something that will probably be added at some point but right now it's not there um so you know if you know if a lane ends you know if you hit and come up to a construction zone and uh or just you know changing you know if if a lane goes from three down to two lanes or something like that um it won't automatically change lanes for you so you do have to do that manually but uh you can you know it's easy to you know i mean you can just change lanes um and the system will automatically resume as soon as you release the steering wheel uh so to to activate the system you know what you do is you get on the uh, you know on a highway uh you know get the car you know roughly centered in the lane press the one button on the uh, left hand steering wheel spoke um and then um if you know once everything's cool uh there's a light bar in the top quadrant of the steering wheel that will turn green and go solid green and that means the system's engaged and once the system's engaged you can take your hands off the wheel uh and you know you do have to keep your eyes on the road and watch the road you know for any conditions that uh, you know the system can't handle but uh, and, you know, so you're re- basically it's looking for you to be ready to take over when, you know, when it can't do the job. And uh, so you're really, you know, it's supervised automated driving. So, right. So that's how to it, a what's that? What's that like? Like you never actually get to like, you know, th- these things are sold as like being, a, you know, you can relax, you can kick back. But no, you're you're kind of like always always at the ready you're always alert is that almost more exhausting in a way because you're just watching the system do its thing it can be it's it, it's different i mean there's there's still you know a significant amount of cognitive effort required to do to use super cruise so you know i mean you're not going to you're not going to be able to take a nap and the way that it ensures that you don't take a nap or you know climb into the back seat or you know watch a movie or something is they they've actually you've got a system that's actually kind of similar in concept to what uh, Apple's bringing out on their new iPhone 10 next month, um, where, you know, Oh, so it'll just aggravate the crap out of you and cost a lot. Uh, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> Sorry. It, I mean, it, it actually works pretty well, you know, so, freezes up every now and then. Um, you know, you've got the IR emitters at the end of the light bar, you know, that are flashing points on your face, uh, but you don't actually see them. Yeah. You know, uh, so 
you know, but it, what it's doing is it's illuminating your face. Um, and then there's a, the camera on the steering column that's that's looking, you know, it's tracking those dots on your face that those invisible dots on your face. Um, it, much like uh, the, the face ID system does, although, you know, face ID, I think they said uses something like 30,000 points on your face. But, you know, they're using it for authentication. So they need much a much higher degree of precision. Um, you know, Cadillac didn't say how many points they ha they have with their system, but it's, you know, it's in the dozens or hundreds at most, um, you know, because what it's doing, what it's designed to do is not necessarily distinguish one face from another, but to just to ensure that your face is looking in the right direction and your eyes are looking in the right direction. And the system does work through even polarized sunglasses. Um, you know, I tried it with and with and without my glasses, but we did find one flaw in the system. And, you know, if you've ever stood on a stage to give a presentation or something and you've got the lights shining towards you and, you, you know, you're in a darkened theater, you know, you can't see the audience. Um, it's exactly the same thing with the system. If you happen to be driving with the sun shining in over your shoulder um, and as we found, you know, for, for the first uh, half hour, 40 minutes uh, driving west from Cleveland uh, in the morning. Um, you know, the sun shining over my shoulder would basically blind the IR camera. And so it could not see my face and therefore it kept disengaging the system, uh, which was a little bit annoying. But, you know, hey, that's, you know, right now that's state of the art. Nobody's actually got anything better. Uh, but, um, you know, the GM, the GM engineers were aware of that. They, it's a known problem and they're they're looking for improved solutions for next generation versions of the system. I mean, they're just going to put solar coating on all the glass. I mean, that's yeah, that's only going to make just, it cost a just lot have, more. Have, you know, just you know, put really dark tinted windows in the car. That's yeah, not a problem. But I mean, that's a real challenge. Like you're you're out in the environment, and that's that's I think one of the things that that pointed up by sort of the long gestation of of this the system is like if that's what you've got to worry about is just the sun making it shut off. Like, uh, they've licked a lot of the problems that. You know the the comma AI stuff, or even the the Tesla um, autopilot. Like, yeah, it's easy to. Well, it's not easy, but it's it's not as difficult as it seems to make one of these systems that works maybe eighty percent of the time. Yeah, right. But and, and but when, I mean, this definitely worked more than eighty percent of the time. It you know it 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 went you know when it when we didn't have situations like that you know it actually worked really well and particularly on the second day you know when we were driving south from chicago to memphis uh you know it, you know we we had long stretches of you know uh, you know close to an hour or more without touching the steering wheel so what did you do like i would get bored uh well i mean that 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 is an issue i mean you, you know you're going to you will likely get bored. I mean, I, I was riding with uh, with Lindsey Brook, who's the editor in chief of Automotive Engineering magazine. And, you know, I mean, we were you know, we were talking all the way, you know, lots of things to talk about. So, you know, that wasn't so much of a problem um, on this particular trip. But, yeah, I mean, uh, well, it's like any long trip you're going to get, you know, a long highway trip like that. You're going to get bored anyway, whether your hands are on the steering wheel or not. Right. I mean, this is the thing now is even when I have the car just on on you know, speed control, just regular cruise control. Like after a certain point, I just, I get bored. That's when you shut off cruise control and you start driving 90 miles an hour and just like, you know, you fully engage with the act of driving and you do irresponsible things because you're just bored. Right. You're looking for something which, to do. Which is why I, I generally <laughs> don't like taking long road trips like this. 
because I do, you know, anybody's going to get bored doing something like this. Which I don't know if I should ex- admit that. Like, yeah, I get I get bored. And so to stave off the boredom, I get hugely irresponsible. <laughs> Lindsay and I just swap places every couple of hours. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I drive alone because I'm pleasant. So it's uh, it's just <laughs> difficult, to, <laughs> difficult to swap places with myself. Um, but, but so how do, overall, it's, it's a really good system. You know, I, um, you know, I think. It, it's I, it's definitely I think the safest system that's out there today. Uh, yeah, well, it will it'll actually come to like a, a stop, right? If it if oh, yeah. it detects that you're not paying attention, it'll be like, all right, Bucko, we're gonna stop the car, and I'll call first responders. Right, and and the, <laughs> you know the time interval for you know what they refer to as escalation uh, is speed dependent. You know, so you know at seventy miles an hour. Um, you know, it's going to do it a lot faster than if you're, you know, going along and stop and go traffic. And it's just, you know, it's just handling the, the situation for you. So if you're going along at 15, 20 miles an hour, uh, you may have, you know, 25, 30 seconds before it starts to escalate uh, because, you know, th- nothing's going to happen that quickly. But at 70 miles an hour, <clears throat> you get about five seconds before it starts to escalate. And it goes through a couple of stages. So you go from solid green means everything's cool systems detecting you looking at the road and it you know it's driving down the road um and then uh after about five seconds if you look away or you block your face or or anything uh it'll start to flash green and the way they've done this with the light bar in the top part of the steering wheel i think is is actually a really good interface system um because you know unlike you know, for example, autopilot or other systems where everything is concentrated in the instrument cluster, actually below the the top of the steering wheel rim, where it's actually away from your line of sight when you are watching the road. Um, you know, this system, you know, is right. You know, it's right there at the bottom of your peripheral vision as you're looking straight ahead. So it's visible, but it's not annoying. Yeah, you know, and then you know if you if you look away, it starts to, it starts off you know flashing green, um, and then you know at that point all you have to do is either look forward again or put your hands back on the steering wheel, and instead of you know most of the other systems out there they use a torque sensor in the steering wheel and you got to jiggle it a little jiggle it a little bit to say hey I'm still here still alive, um, in the in the case of Super Cruise they actually use uh, capacitive sensors in the steering wheel so all you have to do is grab it. Um, you know, and even, even just with one hand and as soon as it, you know, two points of your hand touch it, you know, so like your palm of your hand and, and your fingertips, you know, grip the steering wheel, it will you know, say, okay, you're, you're there, you're alert. Um, and then if you don't though, then it goes to flashing red. And after five seconds of that at highway speed, then, um, it'll start to give you, uh, more aggressive alerts and start to slow the car down. Uh, and, um, if you continue to be non-responsive, it will, um, at f- about 40 miles an hour or so, it'll turn on the flashers and eventually bring the car to a complete stop in the lane. And this this is the one concern I have from a safety perspective with this system is the fact that instead of switching switching lanes and moving over to one side or the other, it's it'll stop in lanes. So if you're on a three-lane road driving in the middle, it'll stop in that middle lane. It's not going to move. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, your, your hazard lights are on, you know, and it doesn't slow you down, you know, particularly aggressively. It slows it down fairly slowly. You know, so hopefully, you know, any, everybody's going to see it and, and get out of the way. But it's I think I think that's a problem. Um, but I think, you know, they will w- once they do uh, the auto lane change capability, then I think they'll probably change that to moving over to um, the outermost lane. 
Yeah, well, and uh, like as with everything too, is like, it, it's a compromise, and it's it's one of those things like hey, we 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 made it behave this way because it's safer than behaving in it in another way. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you, they, they evaluated this. I was actually just talking to some GM engineers about this today and they said, you know, yeah, they, they looked at it and they, they felt that there was more risk in actually changing lanes right. um, than in just staying in the lane and stopping it. And, uh, you know, Nissan basically said the same thing when I tried out ProPilot uh, earlier this summer. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out once we get these in the field. But, you know, the fact that, you know, at least, you know, the fact that it brings it to a safe stop somewhere, you know, I, th- I think it's a good thing. And then at yeah, that well, point, if you don't respond, then it'll call uh, 911. Yeah, I think they're missing an opportunity that they've got the capacitive. Uh, so that's basically like there's a little piece of metal or something, right? That, that yeah, but it's, not, it's underneath the, skin. The, the leather upholstery. So you don't even touch the metal. Oh, I was just sick as if, if it's, you know, if they've got that little piece of metal there, they, they could... Um, could upgrade to a 48 volt electrical system and then just you know install a defibrillator <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah we'll give him a shock or two see if he's like, um, but no seriously like uh, uh so a friend of mine he got an optima a kia optima and it, it has um the, the the you know the the autonomous cruise uh not you, you know the it'll the adaptive cruise adaptive cruise um one of the things he noticed is that it loses its mind a little bit in, in certain uphill downhill situations just because, you know, there's only so much field of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it loses its lock on the vehicle in front of it. Um, like if you're pointed downhill and, and right. you know, the traffic in front of you is, is going uphill and it, it can't see it. it, it doesn't quite know what to do or it behaves in a strange way. How, how does, you know, Super Cruise sort of, it, does it have enough sort of sensor coverage to really deal with those edge cases? Um you know, we we didn't really encounter very much of that sort of situation. I mean, you know, if you've ever driven across Illinois and Missouri and uh, it's flat. Arkansas, <laughs> it's um, it's pretty not much flat. there. Yeah, you know, and um, yeah, boredom is is actually a very serious problem if you're try- taking that drive. Uh, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of uh, elevation change, um, and what what there is is very very gradual. So um, we didn't really see that kind of scenario. But um, when I get a chance to you know get one in for a longer review, I will I will definitely take a look for that um, and see see what that does. But I suspect that you know for the system you know they probably have um they probably have uh taken that into account and and maybe calibrated things a little bit differently and or maybe using the camera because one you know one of the things that that they've done here you know is typically you know with these various driver assist systems um oftentimes you know the the different components will come from different suppliers like for example you may get um the Lane keep, or you know, the adaptive cruise control system, you know, with the radar sensor and an ECU, a control unit for that, you know, might come from TRW or Bosch or Continental uh, or Denso, you know, and then the um, the camera uh, and the lane keeping system, you know, in most cases comes from Mobileye. They're they're the most uh, they're the biggest supplier of that stuff. Uh, you know, or you know, in the case of the Subaru, uh, Hitachi supplies that to su- that system to Subaru, um, and those those two systems don't really talk to each other at all. They're they're completely separate from each other. And what GM did with Super Cruise is they still buy the components from the various suppliers, but they've done their own. Um, they, they've consolidated all the uh, controls into one electronic control unit, and they didn't say who 
who supplies it or, or what kind of chip is in there. But they they did all the control software internally. They did it all in-house. And so they've got a sensor fusion system in there that combines the signals from the radar, from the, all the cameras, uh, and also incorporates the, the map data, that high-definition map data, uh, to give that overall view of what's going on around the car and you know that's an extension that's the same sort of thing that uh, companies are doing for automated you know fully automated driving systems um you know is that using all the various sensors and combining them uh, and controlling it in one electronic control unit rather than having a bunch of uh separate units you know controlling different parts of the system and that's something we're going to see more of going forward is that consolidation of the electronics and the software uh but gm did all the software themselves they didn't they didn't get any of the software from suppliers well i mean that makes sense so you get the hardware from suppliers and maybe work with them to fine-tune your own software but that, that, that's a pretty common mm-hmm. I, I mean i don't know that that's a to me that would be a common uh, assumption of how things things work is that no different it's, than yeah it's different that's what i'm saying i mean typically you know when a manufacturer buys you know the adaptive cruise control system they may get that from trw and that come you know they'll you'll get the system that includes a radar sensor an electronic control unit and trw software in there that, that controls that and you know there's you know connection you know it connects to the rest of the system you know connects to the can bus in the car but you know it's TRW's software or Bosch or Conti or oh, see that seems else. crappy. That seems like you're leaving a lot of of uh, I guess it's just like a lot of fine calibration on the table. Like- well, um, the when it comes to the the calibration, you know the the way the the way it typically works is um, you know the. The, en- the engineers from the supplier will work with uh, some of the engineers from the, the car maker and, you know, fine tune the calibrations. But the, the automaker su- the engineers typically don't work on the actual control algorithms, the control software. Uh, I see. They'll, you know, they'll they'll work with the, the supplier engineers to do, you know, to finish up the calibration and, and make, you know, test it out and approve everything and validate it. But they don't actually write the code, um, the code that goes into that ECU. This is where, you know, what GM has done is different from what has typically been done over the last 30 years or so is they've uh, they just take the hardware and they're doing all their own software internally. Hmm. Well, that's I mean, that's what I would expect anyway. So good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So how did it operate? Like you guys, did you run into any? Sort of like city stop and go and that kind of stuff. How was it in that environment? It, it was fine. It worked. It worked just fine. You know, I mean, driving around in Chicago. You know, going into in and out of Chicago. Um, you know, we were in some traffic there, and then also uh, in Memphis. Um, you know, as we were approaching Memphis, you know, hit some traffic uh, in the afternoon, and you know, it, it behaved just fine. You, mean you could once you got the car centered in the lane. Um, you know, you could you know, activate the system and, you know, it would, it would happily just steer along in the lane and, you know, stay clear of everything else. And it was great. And, you know, I think that's, that's actually, you know, I think where, where it was most appreciated, you know, cause I could just, you know, t- put my hands on my lap and be done with it. Yeah. I, 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 that would be like probably the one place that I, I'd really like it. 
Yeah. Is in those those situations where you're just like, I don't want to grind on the stop and go and when I'm just like yeah, okay, fine. Well and, and one of you know, one of the things they've done, you know, is the uh especially the braking control. They've done a really good do- job on the braking control, you know, to make it really smooth, you know, not to not to jerk the car around and you know um, that type of control that they've done here is actually going to be really important when we get to uh, more highly automated cars, because you know when you know, I mean, you know when you if you're riding as a passenger in a car, um, I mean I don't know how susceptible you are to motion sickness, but typically you know when you're in control of the vehicle, you tend to be, have less susceptibility to motion sickness than you do if you're a passenger. Yep. Um, and that I mean that and that applies to most people. And so if you're not actually actively driving the car, um, when you get into a highly automated vehicle, there's there's going to be more risk of motion sickness. And so they're, one of the things that the engineers are working on is trying to make the control, all the control as smooth as possible in order to um, minimize that risk. Well, yeah, I mean, that's my I guess that's also one of my concerns about the, this sort of promise of the self-driving car is like. Yay, you'll get a you'll get bored, but B also like I can't I can't if I take the train like I can't work on the train for for too long uh, like if I run like a commuter rail or something like I I get motion sickness like I can't I have to look out the window yeah I'm just damaged goods <laughs> but, well, but like it, I mean and I mean this this is going to be a problem this is going to be one of the problems that I think people are going to encounter I mean you know that one of the things one of the uh, advantages that everybody talks about with autonomous vehicles is, oh, I'll be able to to sit back and read a book or watch a movie or you know catch up on some email while I'm commuting to work, and that may not actually be true. You know, yeah, you, I'll you be may, able you to just the, you may just stare out the windshield a little too queasy to actually do anything right. more productive. I'll have to just drive manually to stave off vomit. Awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you won't mind uh, any excuse to stay away from autonomous cars. No, I mean honestly, I'm really interested in it, and I want to. I want to see how it does. Like there are certainly cases where it it has its its benefits, and and even not fully autonomous, but just some of the features that are, are it's part of the system, or, or you know, even just the ability, like, hey, if there's a health problem, the car will stop itself. Like that's that's not bad. That's that's not a terrible thing to have. Yeah, no, that, that that's actually a really good thing. Uh, you know, to to have it be, you know, have the car be able to keep an eye on you, and, and if you get incapacitated for some reason, um, you know, to automatically call for help. Yeah. Um. So I, I mean, I'm just impressed that the GM system. I mean, I I kind of saw it coming to a certain degree, and I'm sure you did as well. Just like. Yeah, when this thing hits the market, GM is going to make sure just because of of history, like they're going to make sure that it's really well done, and they've thought of contingencies for things that can happen and, and stuff. And it seems like they've been, they've been burned a, uh, a time or two, and you know they they don't want to get burned this time around. Yeah, um, so I mean that that's good, and it'll I'm sure there's other automakers that are just coming right behind them with their own implementations of this kind of stuff and. At the at the very least, too, if GM runs into to money trouble, they can license it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Speaking of uh, GM and and money trouble and uh, and Ford. Uh, why don't we dive into the next couple of stories? Well, I mean, everybody's going all EV all the time. Uh, Ford actually like they so today they put out their um, their uh, future vision strategic 
statement plan thing. Um, there's there's a lot of change going on at Ford. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things happening there. Uh, yeah, so you know Jim Hackett um, took over as CEO uh, last spring after. Um, Mark Fields was sent off into uh, retirement with a nice big he, golden parachute. Right. His mullet got its wings. Um, and, but, but this is really the first thing we've heard from, from Jim Hackett, like other than a few statements of really like this is, this is major news. Right. So, you know, in the, the hundred days since he took over, uh, he's been going, you know, he's been doing, um, you know, a strategic review at Ford and everybody you know, has been wondering, you know, what he's going to change, um, you know, and some of the, you know some of the things are you know fairly obvious. You know they're they're looking at changing some processes. They uh, use the terminology uh, rapidly improving fitness to to lower costs, release capital, and finance growth. Uh, so basically, you know I mean they're 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 going to try and save a bunch of money. You know, in, in throughout the organization, product development, and and various other things. Um, and they're targeting uh, <clears throat> let's see, ten billion dollars in uh, incremental material cost reduction. Uh, between now and 2022, so over the next five years. Um, and uh, let's see, they're also targeting reducing engineering costs by $4 billion from currently planned levels over the next five years uh, by increasing use of common parts across its full line of model and full line of vehicles, including and reducing complexity and building fewer prototypes. And, you know, I, I listened to the uh, presentation this afternoon uh, that he gave to investor analysts and, you know, one, you know, in the, the slides, they, um, you know, showed things like, you know, reducing the number of build combinations and, and uh, you know, I think on the focus, you know, they wanted to get it down from like 35,000 build combinations to, you know, about three dozen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that how they do with that. Yeah, and, and you know this is this is one of those things that you know, with, especially with the domestic automakers. You know, every ten years or so, you know, they go through this exercise of reducing build combinations. You know, trying to bundle bundle the most common the commonly um, ordered features together and and have fewer combinations. And you know, the Japanese and the Koreans are actually pretty good at this. Um, you know, especially the Japanese. You know, I mean, you look at uh, at Honda, for example, you know, and, you know, look at a Civic or an Accord and there's typically, you know, maybe three trim levels and, you know, at most one or two option packages on any given trim level. And then you could pick from half a dozen colors or so and maybe a couple of wheel options. And that's it. You know, at the you know, number of standalone options is usually almost none. Um, or in the case of like Honda and Toyota, sometimes a lot of those a lot of those things are dealer installed or, or like, yeah, like I mean, the, the, the thing, the things that you can get a standalone, you know, will be more like along the lines of accessories, as you say, right. you know, they'll be installed at the dealership. Um, you know, so I mean, it'll be things like, you know, floor mats or, you know, um, you know, luggage racks and things like that. But factory factory options are usually kept to a bare minimum. Um, so, you know, Ford's Ford's trying to go down that path again. Um, you know, I think, Last time I checked on the F-150, there was something on the order of about 14 million possible build combinations. Yeah. So this is the thing. Um, they, they may not have to do that on the F-150 or the F-Series so much in terms of reducing build combinations just because they're, that, that vehicle's they built profitable. so many of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
I think one of the attractions to pickups across all manufacturers is that flexibility and configuration. Um, that may not be where they need to save money. The cars don't make money, especially cars like the Focus. As, as much as like they're getting better at making money on small cars, I think their margins are really, really thin on the Focus. Their margins are probably thin on everything, even the Fusion, which was like that was the meat of the segment until we all went crazy for pseudo trucks. Right. right. Uh, and so uh, like, it makes sense to just like, look, if people aren't buying the cars, <laughs> you know, don't. Well, and, and, you know, in keeping with that, you know, Ford is planning to um, dramatically shift um, their, their resource, you know, they're reallocating their capital spending from cars to SUVs and trucks uh, to the tune of about $7 billion over the next five years. Yeah. And that's, so that's like, that's really significant. And, you know, let's let's consolidate a little bit here. We had a question, actually, um, from uh, Twitter about that. Uh, like, does it make sense for Ford to cut cars? Like, shouldn't there be a balanced lineup so that when sh- sales shift again, uh, they're covered? Um, and, and I think, like, to a certain degree, they're never going to get out of cars. There's always going to be people that want cars and the the platforms the, the crossover platforms are their cars yeah you know? i mean that, that's that's the reality of the situation is that uh you know they're they're there's you know most of the components are, you know especially in the small to mid-size um uh utilities uh you know are shared with with the cars anyway so you know they're they're just going to be reducing some of the nameplates you know getting rid of some of the car nameplates for now i mean you know if the market shifts they they'll, it can always shift back to introducing some more car platform some car nameplates uh in the future you know i don't think that's going to happen anytime soon well i mean just think about it like if they made only the escape and they didn't make uh the focus um they wouldn't have to have a bunch of body presses mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of the interior, like the molds for the interior piece. Like there's just, there's billions of dollars of savings without the tooling. Right. I mean, that's, that's, and that's a lot of capital expense and yeah. you know, that's, that's where, you know, that $7 billion is, is shifting, um, you know, from the cars that, you know, are not selling, you know, they're, they're running well below capacity right now. You know, so, you know, currently, you know, here, you know, we've got the Wayne assembly plant uh, here in Michigan uh, near Dearborn that's building the Focus and C-Max. Um, that's being shifted over, you know, and, you know, some of these. Numbers, <laughs> oh, yeah, the C-Max. <laughs> some of the, you know, some of these some of these numbers, you know, some of these dollars are you know already accounted for. Like, you know, that's a, that's going to be a big one there. That plant is being retooled uh, next year to build the new Ranger and the uh, the Bronco. Uh, you know, so and focus, you know, because of its you know decline in sales, CMAX is just going to go away entirely. And I think it's probably going to be dropped globally, uh, including. Well, in Europe. Yeah. I mean, the CMAX set was almost always a compliance car anyway, wasn't it? Like it was not really intended to do much except for lose money. No, they I mean, they when they introduced it, they actually thought that, you know, there, there was actually going to be a market for that. I mean, at that time, you know, um, you know in 2012 2011 2012 gas was still four bucks a gallon okay know? and then, right. you know they introduced that one as a hybrid only and they they thought they could you know find a, a nice market niche for that turns out um you know they had some other issues with the fuel economy labeling and and so on that kind of killed that one and then well, gas the cost prices, was, yeah and gas prices dropped and so it, you know it just never really recovered but even even focus um, you know, the sales are down so much that, you know, the original plan was they were going to shift that production to Mexico and now they're shifting it to China. Uh, you know, so, 
you know, now they're going to build focus just in Europe and China instead of North America. Uh, so that, you know, instead of three continents where they're, you know, tooling up to build that car, they're all, it's only going to be in two locations. So that's going to save them a lot of money, you know, as you said, you know, with the tooling. Um, and they'll, they'll put the capital um, that they would have spent on that tooling to vehicles that are probably going to sell in much higher volumes and at much higher margins. Right. I mean, that's how you build a sustainable business. Like, you, right. you know, you fish where the fish are. Um, what seems more uh, more momentous is their reduction of sort of effort on internal combustion engines. I mean, it makes sense, but um, that, I feel like, kind of sets them up to be behind the eight ball if, like, lo and behold – there's not some big breakthrough in battery tech and we don't electrify everything again, not necessarily depending, you know, cause one of the things they're doing is they're, you know, slashing, um, the number of engine architectures from 17 to 12. Um, well, that's not that much. Yeah. And you know, I mean, they'll, they're going to cut the capital spending on engines, um, you know, from $1.7 billion a year this year to 1.2 in 2022. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's that's a one third reduction over the next five years. Uh, but, you know, still 12, 12 engine architectures, you know, there's you know, there's definitely some engines in the Ford lineup that are, you know, they're ready to be retired. Well, that's uh, yeah. I mean, the, the three, did they say what's going? No, they didn't. They didn't announce any specifics yet. But, you know, things like the old uh, normally aspirated three five and three point seven liter V6, those engines are going to go away. See, but those aren't even that old. Like those, I mean, I guess they're about 10 years old now. Uh, no, they're, I mean, they, they came out in the, uh, yeah, I guess about 15, they're about 15 years old now. Are they that old? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I didn't think know, they were and, that old. But. You know, the, the 2.5 liter four cylinder that they still use as the base engine and the fusion and the escape, that engine will probably go away. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. And the, the, I'm assuming the three liter, I mean, the three cylinder turbo the three cent ecoboost is going to go uh, at least in this market north america yeah i yeah. mean they'll keep using it in europe i think for a while but um, it, it's it's gone from it's already gone from north america uh, at least in the fiesta i wonder what it spells for the v8 given that you know the, the ecoboost has really taken over a lot of the truck sales i think the the five liter v8 they'll keep around because you know combined i think there's enough volume between mustang and uh, the trucks to, you know, to keep a, a V8 line running for the foreseeable future. Uh, but, you know, what we'll see go away probably is um, the 6.2 liter that's in the Super Duties. Uh, you know, replace that, you know, with maybe a, a, a larger displacement version of the 5 liter um, or, you know, a turbocharged 5 liter, something like that. So the 6.2 will probably go away. The uh, the 3.2 liter five cylinder diesel that they use in the Transit will probably go away and be replaced by the three liter V6 that they're putting in the F150. Uh, so you know there there's you know there, there's a bunch of consolidation they could do there without too much pain, and that would save them a, a bunch of money. Um, you know, and then you know longer term, looking out to 2030, you know right now they're projecting that one third of their sales in 2030 are going to be pure battery electric, um, one third internal combustion, and then the other third is going to be hybrids and plug-in hybrids. So those plug-ins and, and, uh, and regular hybrids, those things still have engines. So, you know, there's, that's still a lot of internal combustion engines, even, even with one third being purely electric. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that we should maybe put a link to the statement um, 
Yeah, I, a, I, I, I'll, I'll have that in the show notes uh, to the press release. Yeah, because it's really interesting when they talk about their um, their risk factors too. Like, this could all work unless yeah. uh, the economy completely takes a dump. Uh, <laughs> our cars just the don't. Market shifts know. away from larger, more profitable vehicles beyond Ford's current planning assumptions, particularly right. in the U.S. So if everybody <laughs> stops buying trucks and SUVs, <laughs> we're screwed. Yeah, then this, this all goes away. Um, right. Uh, and, you know, a lot of a lot of companies are going to be screwed in that situation. Right. And so this is, you know, if you want an, an idea of what could happen. Yeah. Um, all you need to do is, is look at what happened to Chrysler in the, the early 70s. They bet the farm on big cars. Yeah. And then what one, uh, one very <laughs> interesting uh, uh, point in these in this list of risks here that I don't recall ever having seen in, in, some, in one of these kinds of statements before. Cybersecurity risks to operational systems, security systems or infrastructure owned by Ford, Ford Credit or third party vendor or supplier. So, you know, if they get hacked, um, that, that could be a problem. Huh. Uh, Well, yeah, but that would never happen, though, right? No, no. Um, And then, you know, across town, GM's doing the same thing, too. They're they're going for uh, and I feel like there's a lot of overheated rhetoric about like, oh, we're going to go all electric by like two years from now. No, no, no. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you're going to that's that's not accurate either. But um, but, you know, just just to finish up with Ford, um, you know, the the other thing uh, that they're doing is they're not slowing down at all. Um, on their autonomous and um, connected vehicle stuff, um, you know they're they're still fully committed to their their timeline of 2021 to launch uh, their autonomous car. But you know they did talk a little bit more about that and said you know it's not going to be based on on any you know current body design. You know it's going to be something that's optimized for the autonomous application. And you know they're they're looking. You know besides just moving people, it's not going to be just for ride hailing. You know they're also looking at you know various other types of applications for it. You know like what they're doing with Domino's. You know with the the pizza delivery. You know and, and you know package delivery and, and you know all kinds of ap- potential applications for automated vehicles. And so that's they're designing that car. You know to be flexible enough to do different things like that. If I could just ring up a Ford car and get a pizza whenever, I, <laughs> I would be happy. Yeah, as long as it Make didn't me. come from Domino's. I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> they've they've redone their pizza. They've they've been working hard. It's definitely much better than it used to be. Yeah, um, but I'll still take a Blaze anytime. You take what? Blaze. That's a that's oh. a that's a pizza place here that uh, does wood fired pizzas. I see. We we get now. I'm going to have a tangent. We get very very lucky to have uh, across the street from the office. Um, we there's there's high end shopping because we're outside of Boston and there's uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. There's this place, Frank Pepe's, um, really well renowned pizza. Uh, so they opened up uh, another franchise or another location here in Chestnut Hill. And uh, so you can go over there and get your coal-fired pizza. It's, it's delicious. I 
just, I wish that that was everywhere. Because uh, the coal, there's not as much moisture in it, so the, the, the crust is really delicious. It's great. I could do a whole podcast about pizza, <laughs> and we should we should move on. Yes. <laughs> move, move on um, to uh, to GM. Um, and, you know, as, as you were alluding to, um, you know, they kind of tried to, I think, tried to steal a little bit of uh, Ford's thunder because, you know, everybody knew that uh, Hackett was going to be making that uh, announcement of the strategic review today. And so uh, GM, uh, you know, called a, a called in some media yesterday uh, to talk about their electrification plans. And uh, they plan to uh, their you know, let's see. GM outlines all electric path to zero emissions is the the headline right. the release. Uh, they plan to release twenty new all electric vehicles in, within the next six years, um, including two of them in the next eighteen months that are based off the Bolt. Uh, so, you know, from from what I've heard, you know, at least you know one or both of the those new uh, vehicles coming you know next year are going to be. Uh, you know, more SUV like, more crossover like than the Bolt is, which you know they already they already refer to the Bolt as a crossover, but you know it isn't really. It's you know just no, a it's hatch. a hatchback. Yeah, yeah. but they, these other two that are coming uh, will be more SUV like, and presumably you know hopefully have more customer appeal, more consumer appeal. Um, but uh, you know at, at the event, I, w- I wasn't able to attend the event at uh, GM Design yesterday where they made this announcement. Um, cause I was speaking at, uh, this conference, <clears throat> but, um, they had a bunch of other, you know, these other vehicles, uh, about a dozen of these other vehicles that are coming, um, that are going to be all electric, uh, you know, all under wraps. And they didn't show those off to the media that were there, but they, they published a photo, you know, showing the bolt in the foreground and a bunch of these other cars lined up in the background. And there's some interesting shapes there. Uh, have you looked yeah. at this picture? Well, it looks like there's a convertible. Um, uh, I, no, I don't. I don't think it's. Or at least a coupe. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a coupe of some sort. You know, some sort of coupe or sports car uh, that uh, is in in this photo. And we'll we'll make sure to include this one in the show notes as well. Um, you know, and then most of the others, you know, look like you know some sort of crossover SUV variant. Uh, but there's also this other one in in the middle. That uh, looks like a little pod, which is a little box. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's almost certainly their their planned, um, you know, dedicated autonomous uh, vehicle, their their mobility vehicle. So, what I'm not clear about too is like, okay, you're going to roll out 20 vehicles that are all electric. That, that's globally, right? So that's yeah. not necessarily the U.S. market. That's right, and you, in fact, you almost certainly won't be all us I, I would guess that at best you know maybe half of those uh if not less will be for the u.s market um you know most of these will probably be primarily for the chinese market and so and that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing i think it's it's easier in other markets to to bring this stuff uh to the consumer and really get some learning about it and fine-tune it well um, well especially you know Considering, you know, that, you know, especially in China in particular, you know, there's, you know, the government has a lot more control over the economy. And if they want EVs sold, EVs will be sold. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just the way it's going to be. Um, you know, so I think you know, they, they will make sure that uh, the incentives are in place for customers to buy EVs instead of internal combustion vehicles, uh, if that's what they decide they want to do. And so, you know, GM and every other car maker are getting ready for that. Yeah. Um, 
I, and that's that's fine. Like I I love EVs actually. Um, I I would love us to to actually. I, I'm so excited to find like a battery breakthrough at some point. Like that's really that's the key to to really you know more EV adoption. I guess or just like practicality. It's going to happen one way or another. We're going to just continue on i i feel like we've we've hit a critical mass where evs are they are the next big thing like evs and autonomy are sort of that that's what where cars are headed yeah um one one if, other thing as well about the gm announcement is although these are these you know this is 20 all electric vehicles they're not all battery vehicles yes you know, so there's going to be at least some of these that are fuel cell powered yeah that, that was that that was a saurus or however you pronounce it the uh Thuris, yeah silent utility rover universal superstructure um that's uh but I, I think that you know that's just um you know that's just a, a platform um but you know in terms of the actual vehicles you know that uh you know there i think what we'll probably see is at least one large suv uh that's fuel cell powered and and maybe a pickup truck too I mean, and they are calling them. They're saying too, like fuel cells, like all emissions free. It's like, well, no, <laughs> not exactly. All direct emissions free. Sure, I I suppose. Um, but the materials that go into a fuel cell, they're also like there's there's platinum and there's like all the just even just the plastics in a in a or the the polymers in a fuel cell. Like that, none of that's emissions free. That's true, <laughs> like, but um, you know they're. They're, they've been working pretty aggressively to reduce the, the material uh, quantity in the fuel cells, especially the, the uh, catalyst, the platinum and the rhodium, um, getting that down. I think um, the last time I talked to Charlie Freeze, who leads up the GM fuel cell efforts, you know, they were on track. He said they were on track to get the, the next gen fuel cell stack, which is coming out in 2020. That's the one they're developing with Honda that they're going to build here in Brownstown, Michigan, um, down to... Uh, I think under eight grams of uh, platinum in that. And by comparison, the um, the stack that they used in the uh, the Chevy Equinox fuel cells that they used uh, for the project driveway program a few years back, those had uh, 80 grams of platinum in them. That's really impressive. Yeah. And you know, um, that's, that's all through, you know, through new manufacturing processes for how they make the uh, the plates in the cells, you know, and basically using a, you know, minimizing the amount of catalyst that they actually need uh, while making it more effective. I mean, it fuel cells are really, really cool. Like that is that is actual rocket science. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what that's what it was developed for is for the Apollo yeah. program. Um, and and GM's been working on fuel cells since pretty much the Apollo program. <laughs> yeah, I mean, GM GM um, built the first fuel cell vehicle ever. Um, in like 1966. Uh, yeah, it was a Corvan or a, a Greenbrier or something, right? Yeah, a Corvair van, and they put yeah. uh, put a fuel cell system in there, uh, and it's that vehicle still sits in the uh, GM Heritage Center. Uh, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen it a couple times. It's it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I mean they're you know, and they, I think uh, 2020 is when they're going to launch the first fuel cell vehicle. And my guess is that right now they've they've actually got a, a prototype uh, Colorado pickup that the army is testing. Um, and my guess is that, you know, the first uh, production, so quote unquote production fuel cell vehicle will probably be um, a fuel cell truck for the military. Well, I mean, the military is a large 
uh, consumer of fuel. They are. And so if, if, if they can do something for fuel efficiency and at the same time uh, do a lot of uh, sort of field testing of the vehicle, <laughs> yeah, I think the consumer benefits in the end. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's I mean, it'll it'll be interesting to watch how all this plays out in you know, between GM and Ford and and all the European manufacturers and uh, and, and Dyson and, and Dyson. Yeah, <laughs> Dyson wants to get into this, too. Uh, it's going to suck. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I, is this going to be like reality i mean i know that they've they've sort of committed to it um at least it, it, come out with words certainly in, in terms of the amount of money that he's talking about you know two billion pounds you know two point seven billion dollars that doesn't seem like enough um no i mean i mean depending on what kind of volumes they want i mean that you should be able to design and develop a vehicle you know for two you know two and a half billion dollars um, I think that you know that's that's a that's about the right amount of money. Uh, For what kind of vehicle, like a Tesla Roadster or like a Model S, or who knows? They haven't said. No, I'm just trying trying to think of like what does your two billion buy you? It could be anything. It could be any body style. Really? That's that's that I mean, seems that, cheap. Uh, no, I mean a, a typical new vehicle program, you know, for an established manufacturer is usually about a billion to a billion and a half dollars. I thought they were more than that at this point. No, no, it's about about a billion, about a billion, depending on how much retooling, plant retooling is required, between one and one and a half billion dollars. Wow, if, they're more efficient than I thought they were. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so, I mean, you could you, you could certainly do, you know, do a program for two and a half billion dollars. I mean, that's that's not that's not totally crazy. You know, whether or not, you know, they can get the, the technology they want working at automotive scale, you know, is an entirely different situation. Um, and, you know, the thing is, these aren't going to be cheap. You know, they've, they've already said it's going to be a premium vehicle. And, you know, I mean, all of Dyson's products are premium. You know, they're far more expensive than than the competition. Uh, you know, I was just, uh, when I wrote up the story on Forbes last week, you know, I took a look at the pricing on Target. You know, I mean, a, a typical <laughs> vacuum cleaner, you know, is about 100 bucks, and a Dyson starts at 400 bucks. I will say we have a Dyson vac, um, like a discontinued one. Um, Does it suck? <laughs> they all suck. Um, and I've actually had to like repair it a couple of times. And it, the, the engineering, you know, it's almost like when you take an Apple thing, an Apple device apart. Like if you if you have to replace something in, in like an iMac or whatever, the, the the design and engineering is really clever. It's ingenious. It's it you appreciate it when you're you're looking over the machine. Um, Not necessarily built to last. I, the, well, I mean, we've had the vac for for a while now, but I, I have had to replace, you know, some some stuff like the the cord reel and the hose. And, and again, like this is not an automobile, <laughs> so I forgive some of that. But yeah, it's it's um, for what it cost. I, I'm like, it sh it shouldn't, you know, the the insulation shouldn't flake off the the cord just because it coils. Like those those things. Those yeah, are I mean, that, consumer that's, quibbles. That's that's some you know some basic product engineering that you know regardless of how clever your motor design is or what kind of fancy battery you're using, things like that you know you should be able to get you know you should be able to get some decent you know design engineers to do handle that stuff if, you know and make it reliable and, and robust. Well, and I think that that's almost where um, uh, Tesla and and some of the other sort of startups. They stumble 
right? Uh, the 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 heart of what they're doing is is great, uh, but it's it's all that like ancillary stuff that they don't think about, uh, or they don't think enough about. Uh, that just turns into like everyday annoyances um, that we just, we take for granted in, from from other uh, manufacturers uh, where they've got this stuff figured out. They know how to make it so that it's re- repeatable. You know, the, the control stocks don't fall off in your hand or, or what, like just whatever. Yeah, right. Generally, you sh- you know, most over the last 15 years, they've been pretty. Yeah, good. that's true. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's really where if you're an upstart manufacturer, you've got to pay attention to that stuff probably more than your whiz bang right and motors and, and, and actually you know executing that stuff right is is actually a lot harder than you would think oh yeah uh, you know to, to really you know to get to get the right feel and and to make that stuff reliable and make it to last is is actually a, a very non-trivial problem which but I, which I, is actually I, part of the reason why you know Tesla has actually, you know, one of the reasons they focus so much on the big touchscreen is so they don't have to do all the switch gear because that yeah. gear takes a lot of effort to do. That's it sure does. Or they could just buy it, which I guess they didn't want to do. Yeah. But I mean, the Ferrari and Lamborghini did that for years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ferraris would have Fiat switches. I mean, partially because they were owned by Fiat. But like, still, like, so there's ways around it. And I feel like, you know, Dyson has certainly deep experience with uh, consumer products. So they might have a little bit of an edge of an understanding of nailing the basics uh, and how important that is. And, you know, the, the vacuums are built to a price. So even though they're an expensive vacuum, uh, it would be more expensive if all of my quibbles were, were you know, uh, attended to. And and that's where you, like, if you're if you want to use the vacuum metaphor, like, you go shopping for other machines that are roughly in that same sort of design performance spectrum. You're looking at double the price. You're, you're like, uh, I don't even know how to say it, Miel, Mieli, or, or whatever the Italian brand. Um, you, you very quickly get into a very expensive thing. So, so Dyson has that niche with with with, with vacuums, you know. And and yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure that we really need another premium electric car from a manufacturer that hasn't ever manufactured cars before but i mean whatever yeah i mean you know he's uh, dyson is a privately held company it's james dyson's money so you know if he wants to spend it you know good luck to him i mean it's it's cool i'm i'm glad that it's a privately held company don't go public yeah <laughs> things get screwed up when you go public um, yeah. that's my completely uneducated advice about it uh so what do they think they're going to sell it for, too, though? Like they, they haven't said. They haven't given any details except that it's coming in 2020. Okay. So it could come or not come. Right. In 2020. Maybe they should partner because Ford wants to partner. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> Ford's partnering with a bunch of companies, uh, you know, mostly in, in uh, China and India. But uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think uh, they, they'll want to partner with Ford. Um. Really? I, is that just Ford wants to do its own thing its own way or just? No, I, I suspect that Dyson, uh, I think, you know, the comments that they were that they made is that they don't want to work with any incumbent automakers. OK. Yeah. So they're wow. going on their own. Although and there, there, ha- there has been some speculation that, uh, that Ford might, uh, you know, there's been some rumors that Ford might be talking to uh, Lucid Motors about maybe acquiring them. But. I don't know if they'll if they'll bother with that. 
I yeah, I mean, we're gonna see more of this uh, these sort of blips too. Like Faraday Future seems like they're all done as well. Yeah, um, they've been pretty quiet so, lately. I I don't know, and I mean Dyson. What could go possibly go wrong? Like he's is he? Well, wait a second. Is he British or is he? Yes. Okay, I was gonna say because sometimes I'll make that mistake, <laughs> and they they'll be like, you know, uh, not British, just dudes with accents, and then I'll feel like an idiot. So I mean, the British auto industry is just booming, so it should be fine. They're they're well renowned for their high quality, well engineered cars that last forever. <laughs> okay. I feel good. I got my shot in. Okay. (laughs) Let's move on. On that note. (laughs) Um, There are, do you want to, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I know there there was like a a question that came in somewhere from somewhere and I can't find it now. uh, I plucked a couple things and I dropped them in Slack. Oh. Um, I didn't see. Oh, I know. It was, it was an email that came in earlier today. I think Um, on, on the wheel bearings, uh, Email. Here we go. Email. This is the one. Yes. So this Who is from, uh, from Yakov Nimoy. <laughs> and, I don't uh, think that's his real name. You, you, I mean, if it is cool. You don't think so? It sounds like two actors. <laughs> <laughs> or, just... or a comedian and an actor. Anyway. Right. So <laughs> Yakov asks, since you folks have been talking a fair amount about Jaguar and we've been looking at we've been looking at purchasing either the F-Pace or the Velar, uh, which is uh, the new uh, Land Rover model, the new Range Rover model, which you know, it's it's their midsize um, SUV that fits in between the uh, uh, what's the what's the little one? Uh, uh, Discovery Sport whatever yeah whatever the the little one is and the uh, the Range Rover the bigger Range Rover anyway uh, I thought I'd give you some unsolicited co- give you some unsolicited commentary and insights that I've picked up after driving both the short and long of it is that the F-Pace by Jaguar and the new Velar by Land Rover are really the same car designed by the same people and built in the same factories the difference is how the car is marketed and as a result what your choices are and options the cars were built on the same platform and while the body shape is different the Velar is slightly shorter and longer than the F-Pace, the engine suspensions and the lower end trims, etc., and a whole bevy of other things are all share the same parts bins. After effectively configuring and pricing a, a decent 40 builds at least, it really feels like two versions of the same cars. Now, if only my wife's favorite uh, choice of colors and interiors were both available in the same vehicle. That said, the Velar gives you a much soft, softer ride. The three-liter engine comes with an airsoft suspension and hides the aggressiveness of the F-Pace with the same engine. The F-Pace oddly has the window controls high up on the door, closer to the steering wheel. Um, let's see. And, uh, the Velar has a special towing assist package. The F-Pace has a sportier drive. Uh, my guess is that Tata Group knows JLR can make any car to any spec they want, so they've strategically developed their platform to use a single set of parts to grab a very wide swath of the SUV market at their selling range with a minimum of engineering. And it that is a platform. Yes, that <laughs> that is precisely uh, the the premise of platform engineering, and it lets them apply both the Jaguar Sports side and the LR uh, luxury side equally. You can tell these two cars were designed together. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the, the gist of it. So, so what you're probably going to want to do is like you get the, the Range Rover for the looks, uh, the exterior looks right. And then you get the Jaguar interior because it's, you know, has what you want, right? Like you can, you start mixing and match. That's, I mean, that's what we used to do with the, the Volvo stuff. I used to, I had all kinds of weird parts in my Volvos. 
Yeah, and, from like different cars. Yeah, and, you know, I mean the, you know, all all the Jaguar models are definitely designed to be more performance oriented. Um, you know, including the the new E Pace and the F Pace, um, the Evoke. That's the that was the one I was trying to think of. Just popped into my oh. head. The the little one. Um, you know, and whereas the 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 Land Rovers, you know, the Land Rover and Range Rover models are, you know, more designed, you know, with some some off road capability, um, you know, a little softer softer feel to them, you know, more more pure luxury than the the sporting side with uh, with Jaguar, and you know, I mean, if you're going to have two distinct brands, you know, that's you know, you you've got to separate them like that, you know, unlike you know some other brands that we may have talked about earlier in the show. Um, there's, there's gotta be some more distinction between the two, even if they're sharing a lot of the same componentry. And, I uh, just noticed PS at the end of this, um, email, it says, uh, on the off chance, you mentioned me by name on the show. The name is pronounced Yaakov. So sorry Yaakov. about that. Yaakov Nimoy or Nemoy. Um, okay. So, you know what? I'm going to say it is his actual name and uh, we're just, we're just poking fun because, well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not like it's not a real name used by used by other people. I mean, it's, it's not a, a totally right. uncommon that, name. But. That's true. And, and Nimoy is also not an uncommon surname. Yeah. So. See what our popular culture has done to us? We're all ignorant buffoons. <laughs> <laughs> or one of us or is. Or just buffoons. Anyway. Maybe, yeah. maybe not ignorant, but buffoons. Right. All right. Uh, um, let's see. Okay. So, well, let's see. We had some questions from Twitter over... Uh, from, from our aborted attempt at the end of last week, um, CrowPoint Partners wanted us to talk about how dangerous Tesla Autopilot is. I feel like we covered that. Um, and it's, it's not dangerous per se. I think it's just underdeveloped. It, it's underdeveloped. And, um, you know, I think because of the way it's been marketed by Elon Musk, it uh, the the perception has been created among customers that it's capable of doing more than it is. And they don't have any mechanisms in place to prevent it from being misused. Uh, So, you know, it's, it's easier for customers to do foolish things with it. It's irresponsibly marketed. Yes, for sure. Um, All right. Uh, Another one from Crow Point Partners again was uh, the size of the world auto market average purchase price of cars worldwide and why market demos are working against the Model 3. Wanted us to sort of touch on those. Um, Well, the Model 3, they're way off on their production. (laughs) Yeah, they (laughs) they announced their their, uh, deliveries uh, yesterday and uh, they delivered, uh, you know, they were, they had previously projected that they would deliver 1500 cars in Q3, uh, and they delivered 260. So they're, yeah. they're still working out, uh, some issues with their production process. But you know, like they're going to get it together. Um, and I, I don't want to just sit here and take shots at Tesla. Um, I, I think that there's, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff they're, they're not doing as well as they need to be doing. Um, but they will get it together eventually. I do think that the competition for them is is really much more fierce uh, than it has been, and it's going to continue to get uh, more fierce, fiercer. Um, and yeah, the the Model Three is not the thirty thousand dollar you know version of the Model S that it was sort of like touted as. It's I don't I don't think it's going to move the needle. No, I I, I I totally agree on that. Yeah, and I think. Um, 
most Model 3s are not going to be sold for anywhere near that base price. You know, most of them are going to be sold, you know, probably in the forty-five to $50,000 range. Um, and, I mean, you know, before they can even sell them, they have to figure out how to build them reliably. Um, so, you know, they, Tesla's still got a lot of issues to work out. What else? There was something in there about uh, demographics and... Yeah. Um, let's see. The size of the world auto market, average purchase price of cars worldwide, and why market demographics are working against the Model 3. So, you know, the, the world market, worldwide market, um, you know, is roughly 100 million cars a year, uh, a little bit less than that. I, you know, I think it's like between 95 and 100 million right now. Um, average selling price globally, uh, I'm not actually sure. You know, U.S. it's about currently about thirty-five and a half thousand uh, transaction price. I think globally it's it's probably a little bit less than that, um, but I'm not sure exactly uh, where that you know what that's at because you know certainly in a lot of a lot of markets you know certainly China and, and India um, you know they they have a lot of volume, but the I think the transaction prices are significantly lower. Uh, for most of that volume, um, so you know it's it's probably somewhere in the mid twenty thousand dollar range if you look at the global average. That's a, so. I just have this creeping feeling that cars are just too damn expensive. They are, and and they're going to get more expensive as we add all this automation, which is why people are increasingly not going to be buying cars. They're going to be leasing or renting or yeah, you know, doing some other kind of mobility. Yeah, option, some right? some sort of mobility service. You know, it could be a subscription service. You know, something like Cadillac Book or uh, Clutch. You know, which is another similar type of service where, you know, you pay a monthly fee or you know, Care by Volvo, which we talked about last time. Uh, you know, where you you pay a monthly fee and you get, you know, that'll include the the price of the car, insurance, uh, maintenance, um, you know, and then, you know, in some case, some of those cases, it may give you access to, you know, any vehicle in the model lineup. So, you know, you can drive an XT5 to work during the, during the week and pick up an ATSV for the weekend, things like that. Um, those, those sorts of options, especially at the premium end, you know, will, will, uh, will be an increasing part of it. And then, at, you know, at the lower end, you know, you'll have various types of ride hailing services and other car sharing type of services. Um, you know, I've actually got a report that's in review right now that talks about all this stuff. Um, you know, but there, there's going to be a lot of different models available uh, for mobility services. But the common theme is that, you know, none of them will involve you actually owning the car. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah. I I mean I I don't know what that does to that that volume question that sort of like worldwide volume. I don't our, anticipate it will go up. Well, our projections are that it will continue to increase um through through the 2020s, you know, and then as we hit about 2030 it'll start to decline. Um, you know, so the overall overall vehicle market um is going to start to decline. I mean, there's been some projections that it, you know, it, as you get into uh, autonomous car, you know, shared autonomous vehicles, that it's going to drop by, you know, 80 or 90 percent. And I think that's wildly optimistic. You know, I don't think it's I think it's probably going to decline you know, more along the lines of about 20 to 25 percent. Yeah. And that's, you know, because in, in a lot of regions, you know, it's going to be a long time before, you know, autonomous cars are really a viable option in a, in a lot of places. Um, and, you know, there's there's also, you know, still 
you know, there's people that still want to own a car. So there's, there's still going to be a market there uh, for some time to come. Yeah. So if you want to buy a car, you'll still be able to for now. I mean, if you can afford it. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I mean, we had gold, so I, you know, I'll, uh, probably during my lifetime, it won't, won't be an issue. But you know, I'm glad I'm getting old too, because I'm, I'm growing into my attitude. Um, let's see. And the last last sort of comment was the the VW engine leader uh, was arrested, uh, engineering leader. Um, yeah, that that scandal is going to continue to play out. Um, did you? Have any thoughts about the fact that there's a hundred thousand dollar Super Duty Limited? I thought that was a lot of uh, much ado about nothing. Like, I mean, it's certainly I didn't really consider it news, which is why I didn't bother to write about it. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, everybody else did though. Yeah, well, you know, th- this this is why you know, and despite the problems it's had, you know, Ford has still had, you know, record profit years, you know, for the last several years, um, you know, because there are people out there that will buy a hundred thousand dollar F-450 Dually Platinum. Uh, and everybody seems so offended by it. And I was like, why? Who cares? I mean, you know, if, who cares? You know, if somebody wants a really fancy F-450 Dually, more power to them, you know, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to buy a truck like that anyway. And if they want to, you know, put some extra money in Ford's pocket to fund EVs and, and autonomous vehicles. Why not? Look, and the ones that they put out into the press fleet, we're all going to just lose our our minds about anyway. We're going to be like, oh, this thing is so nice. Like, fine. Never. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't see it as a big deal, you know. I mean, everybody else is doing the same thing, putting out premium trucks. So, you know, it's, it's, what, it's what funds your EVs. If you, you know, if you want to get an EV at a, at a, you know, affordable price right now, the way that happens is because, you know, some guy in Texas with too much money is spending a hundred grand on a pickup truck. <laughs> right. Just think of it as Ford's Panamera. Yes. Or Ford's Cayenne. Yes. And there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is getting long, so we should stop. Um, All right. But but people can email us at uh, wheelbearingscast at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes. That's probably helpful for getting us uh, some notice. We are on Twitter at wheelbearingscast. Uh, no vowels except for the A in cast, if you can remember that. Um, and we will be back again next week or later this week or sometime soon. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.